Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Presented by Bridge Bank. Be bold, venture wisely. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, newspaper execs storm the Capitol, and JP Morgan introduces a Trump tweet index. But first, the Republican undercard. So almost all of the 2020 presidential politics talk has focused on who the Democrats will nominate and that person's subsequent campaign versus President Trump. But the Republican primary contest is getting more interesting by the day. For starters, the very existence of a GOP primary challenge is notable. President Trump now has three rivals, two of whom are former governors, Bill Weld and Mark Sanford, plus former Tea Party congressman turned never Trumper Joe Walsh. But at the same time, the Republican Party overall is doing a ranks closing act with four states choosing not to hold presidential primaries or caucuses, claiming they're too expensive given the inevitable outcome. President Trump got asked about it yesterday, and while not explicitly endorsing the cancellations, you know, because democracy, he didn't object to that either. To be honest, I'm not looking to give them any credibility. They have no credibility. Now, more states could follow, although it's worth noting the Republican parties of both Iowa and New Hampshire are moving forward with their caucus and primary, respectfully. The reason all of this matters isn't because one of the primary challengers is likely to knock off President Trump. They aren't, as Trump is extremely popular within the party. But as the first President Bush and President Carter can both attest, strong primary challenges can severely weaken an incumbent's general election prospects, causing a diversion of time, money and attention, plus possibly softening up some electoral weak spots. The bottom line here, the Republican primaries are unlikely to change the November 2020 ballot, but they could affect the ultimate outcome. Well, assuming there actually are enough Republican primaries. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Republican presidential candidate Joe Walsh. But first, this. Bridgebank believes in the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. That's why Bridgebank has been dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor-backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices. Bridgebank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridgebank, be bold, venture wisely. We are joined now by former congressman and 2020 presidential candidate Joe Walsh. You were a fervent Trump supporter and you say you, quote, found religion last year. Yeah. Was there a specific moment for you? Because Trump has basically tried to do as president what he promised to do during his campaign. Yeah, I'll quibble on one word, and, and that's fervent. I supported Trump. I didn't love him or like him. I voted for him because he wasn't Hillary. I figured he'd appoint a few good people. Maybe a few good things might happen. It became clear to me after he got elected that he pretty much lies almost every time he opens his mouth. The final straw was Helsinki last summer, July of 18, I believe, when he stood in front of the world and said, I believe Putin and not my own people. That was an incredible act of disloyalty. I realized right then and there that this guy was incapable of putting anything above his own interests. You've also had a transformation, at least a public transformation, particularly yeah. in your rhetoric. And you have apologized for past kind of racially insensitive, call them racist tweets in the past, things you have said. If I'm a prospective voter in a GOP primary, why don't I look at you and say he has changed for a matter of political convenience? <laughs> well, that's a great question. And, you know, again, it's up to each voter to believe it or not. In many ways, I'm like a reformed gang member. And I'm looking at this gangster Donald Trump and saying, this isn't who we are. You're right, man. I went to Washington eight, nine years ago to raise hell. I was part of that Tea Party class about the debt and the deficit. But over the course of the last eight years, many of us got personal and hateful with our politics. I know that I did. And if there's one thing I've learned in the era of Trump, 
Trump, it's that, my God, I don't want to sound like that guy. That's the worst version of me. And I have changed. I refuse to engage in ugly personal politics with people who disagree with me politically like I used to in the past. Obviously, there's been a lot made in the last week or so about how four state Republican parties have decided to cancel their primaries or caucuses. What, if anything, can your campaign do about those four states? And what are you doing to ensure that other states don't follow suit? Well, we can scream from the mountaintop that it's undemocratic bullshit, and this cannot be overlooked. Every day with Trump, there's a scandal. Every day with Trump, there's an attack on our democracy. But this, like, is a new low. I mean, because what Donald Trump and the Republican Party has done already in four states is deprive people the right to vote. This isn't Russia. This isn't North Korea. This is America. This can't happen. So we're going to raise a stink about it. We're going to go directly, by the way, to voters in these states, because if you polled Republicans in these states, my God, they're against what their Republican Party has done. When you say go straight to voters, what does that mean? If there's not a primary, they don't have a ballot box to register their opinion on it. We're going to go straight to Republican voters in these four states to get their Republican parties in these four states to change this undemocratic bullshit. So that's part of what we're going to do. We're going to be part of every legal effort to fight what the Republican Party, along with Trump, has done in these four states. So we're looking at a boatload of options to do something about this because it can't stand. From a policy perspective, you've said that one of your main objectives, if you were elected, is to reduce the national debt, which now stands at $22.5 trillion. Can you give me one or two concrete ways that you could substantially eat into that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and really, when you're talking about the debt, what we need to do, and, and I knew this when I went, because that's why I went to Washington in 2010. Look, the bottom line is Americans are living longer and longer and longer, and we're paying for health care for Americans who are living longer and longer and longer. Until we do something about Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, we are going to have a debt problem in this country. You can cut non-defense discretionary spending until the cows come home. You will not impact the debt, period. You can cut defense spending, which we should do. I'm not saying don't do all of this. It's a spending problem. But the biggest chunk in our federal budget are these federal entitlements. What's your primary prescription then for fixing those health care entitlements? My primary prescription is we have to fundamentally change the way we think about health care in this country. We can't afford health care right now. And what are the Democrats doing? Proposing more of it, more government run health care. The Republicans are afraid to talk about this issue. They're afraid to say what we need to say, which is government should always be there for those people in need. But all of the rest of us Americans need to begin to assume more of the day to day cost of our own health care. Until we get there, we're always going to have a debt problem in this country. On the Democratic side of the presidential field, we've seen kind of a push for some low polling candidates to drop out to kind of clarify the field a bit. And obviously, the Republican situation is a different animal, given we have an incumbent yeah. president. But from your perspective, is it wise for folks like you who want a different Republican nominee? Is it wise to have three candidates possibly splitting that vote as opposed to one? Honest answer, probably not. And I'll be straight with you. Look, Bill Weld's a nice guy. Mark Sanford's a nice guy. But I just don't think they're serious. Look, I'm in this because I don't think Trump, and you can disagree with me, Dan, I don't think Trump's fit to be president. And I think he's a danger to this country. To me, 
That's the only reason that you primary Donald Trump. You've got Mark Sanford out there, again, a good guy who has said, I can't win. He said that he can't win. Well, if you don't think you can win, why would you primary Trump? And maybe I'm not the best messenger, Dan, but there needs to be one alternative to Trump that is out there every day saying that we can do better than Trump. And I don't see anybody else on the Republican side delivering that message like I am. Congressman, final question. Speaking of message, what would be your bumper sticker motto? We obviously know what Trump's is. What does the Joe Walsh for president bumper sticker say? We can do a hell of a lot better than this guy. He's the worst of who we are. Okay, so that's a very long bumper sticker. Fair enough. Big car. (laughs) Uh, Congressman Joe Walsh, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Dan, thanks. My final two right after this. With offices and tech hubs throughout the country, including San Francisco, Boston, and Atlanta, and new offices in Seattle, Denver, and Chicago, BridgeBank continues to meet the innovation ecosystem wherever it thrives. And through its teams focused on technology and life sciences companies and the equity investors who fuel them, BridgeBank delivers a responsive, high-touch client experience. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Capitol Hill, where senior executives from eight major newspaper companies today will meet with lawmakers from both parties, asking them to pass a bill that would lessen the dominance of big tech platforms over content creators. The issue, of course, is that newspapers feel they have virtually no leverage when negotiating with companies like Facebook and Google, which often make much more money displaying ads next to truncated newspaper content than the newspapers themselves make via clicks from those posts. So why no leverage? Because current antitrust laws prevent the newspapers from collectively negotiating with big tech. So the executives will ask senators and representatives to support a four-year safe harbor protection from those rules. It's the second time they've tried to get this safe harbor, but there is renewed optimism this time around, given how public and political sentiment has turned against big tech. And finally, J.P. Morgan has introduced a new index that tracks the impact of President Trump's tweets on Treasury yields. It's called the Volfefe Index, combining the word volatility with the word Kofefe, which was the infamous butt tweet from Trump in 2017. J.P. Morgan says that the index has found statistically significant correlation and that the most market-moving Trump tweets include the words China, billions, products, Democrats, and great. And perhaps more importantly, there doesn't seem to be any fatigue, either by Trump, whose tweeting has only become more frequent with time, or by the markets, which actually move more now on Trump tweets than they did earlier in his presidency. Kofefe indeed. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Lily Wimberly, have a great national TV dinner day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.